Well, hello everyone, it's so great to be with you. Okay, so in 1987, a song came out that quickly rose to number one on the US Billboard Hot 100 chart and is ranked by many critics and publications to be among the greatest songs in music history. Greatest songs. Does anyone know what I'm talking about, that song? If you don't, a lot of heads are nodding. If you don't, the song title is I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. It was uh, written by U2 from their The Joshua Tree album. And I actually want to play a little bit for all of us. It's from a recording that some of our worship arts people made. So let's take a listen. We can clap a little bit, people. Come on. We know this song. If you don't, it's great. At home, you can clap, podcast. If you know the chorus, sing along. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. We all know it now, so let's sing it together. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. All right, you guys sounded so good. Oh my goodness, look at that. Okay, so you probably didn't think you would be singing in the message, but you did, so there you go. Okay, so here's the crazy thing. That song is rated among the best in all of music history, like the best. Are you, are you kidding me? There's a lot of songs in music history, right? So why that one? Why is that one ranked among the best, among the greatest? I think it's because that song hits at the heart of the human experience. That no matter where we've been, no matter what we do, no matter what we can achieve, that deep down inside of us, we kind of feel our heart singing, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Well, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Blackhawk Church. I wanna welcome everyone in the room who's joining us right now. Welcome everyone online, light that chat up. Everyone who's listening to a podcast, stay safe wherever you're at while you're listening to it. Gospel Fusion, what's up? Traditions, downtown, so glad that you're here. Fitchburg, glad that you're joining us. To the uh, Chinese speakers, Dijon J, Mei Ping An, and to the Spanish speakers, Bien Benitos, a Blackhawk. We are just so glad that all of you are joining with us today. Now, today, as uh, was said, is the last day of the series that we're, we've been going through called I'm Fine. And it's also the day where we're talking about discontentment. And discontentment can basically be summed up by the line that we all just sang but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And the reality is, discontentment, is, it's all around us. I mean, all I have to do is, is pick up this thing, and I can not only experience discontentment, but I can find myself on the search for contentment. Okay, so now I work with 
a lot of people who are in their college age and 20s and 30s, and because of that, they've taught me a lot about dating culture. And if you're unfamiliar with what dating culture is like, let me just tell you. So uh, dating culture, basically, uh, you just kind of get yourself out there. That's the, the best first thing to do. Go somewhere where other singles are at, um, find someone, get to know them, which is really great, when there isn't a global pandemic going on, making that literally dangerous. So, so in order to try to uh, still find someone, a lot of people have switched to online dating. What's online dating like, you might ask? You, maybe you know, you don't. Well, let me just tell you. So for online dating, first you, you get a dating app. You like download a dating app. And then after you've downloaded, probably one of the more popular ones, you then fill out what you're looking for in a date. And then after you do that, you fill out what is called like your profile. And with that, you put a lot of pictures on there, like you going on a hike or going to the Packers game, which I think almost all of them include both of those things, which is awesome. And I'm still kind of in deep denial about the Packers game last night, but we don't have to talk about that right now. And then you put interests on that profile, like going on a hike or going to the Packers game. And then you sit back and wait for someone to like you but you don't have to just wait for someone to like you. You can actually like other people too, which is where it gets really interesting. Okay, so basically you get what looks like an unlimited amount of just people that you can like. And if both of you like each other, then you are put into a match, like you're matched and you can then have a messaging conversation. And if that messaging conversation goes well, then it can end up in a date. But before you get to that, you need to swipe right. <laughs> what's, swipe, what's swipe right, you might ask, if you don't know? Okay, let me tell you. So in some of the most popular dating apps, swipe right means, yes, I like this person. I want to match with them and maybe go on a date. So you swipe right. And then if you're, you, I don't know if I want to match with them, you, you swipe left. Okay, swipe right is good, swipe left is bad. And then no matter what decision you make, their profile goes away and then the next person comes and you get to just choose to do that again, swipe right or swipe left. And here's the thing, for most of the people that I talk with, for every like swipe right that there is, there's like 20 swipe lefts. <laughs> they don't like the same music as you, mm -mm. swipe left. They don't smile the way that you like? Nope, swipe left. They don't like the same books, the same hobbies, the same shows? Swipe left. So if you're unfamiliar with this process, I actually wanna do something different. I want all of us to experience this together. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, you can come back and watch this, all right? So we're gonna, we're gonna do this together. Are we ready? Okay, first one. <laughs> this is Charles. Charles is a hopeless romantic. Charles likes books, theology. Oh my goodness, he likes hikes and the Packers. That's awesome. Deal breaker though, Charles is married. Swipe left. The next profile, okay, this is Matt. He lives in Madison, Wisconsin. Matt likes UW sports, talking about Jesus. Oh my goodness, he likes hikes and the Packers. But here's the thing, he's married. Swipe left. All right, last but not least, this is Chris. Chris is retired. He likes to shake his hands and, and wobble on the stage. 
He dislikes hikes and he likes the Cubs, which is a definite swipe left. I mean, he's married also, but here's the deal. We're swiping left because of the Cubs. Let's be clear about that. Okay, so <laughs> I heard an amen. There you go. First amen of the sermon. Okay, uh, so... Well, that's fun, and if you're kind of newer and you're like, who are these people? They're a part of the teaching team. And while we can have this mentality of swipe left, swipe right in online dating, we can actually take that mentality with us in our everyday lives. We see something that we dislike, I don't know, swipe left, because that might bring us to discontentment. We see something that might fill us, that might satisfy us, something that might, might complete us and bring us towards more content than we're experiencing. Oh, yeah, and that, we're going to swipe right. A bigger house? Swipe right. A better job? Swipe right. Better clothes, better friends, less stress, a more fit you? Swipe right. We are people who deeply want to be content. And when I'm talking about content, what I'm talking about is this, this feeling inside for this perpetual pursuit of happiness, where in all things we feel like we're, we're filled, we're full. And the reality is, our society is built off of this search for contentment. I mean, it's in all of our social media, it's in our marketing, it's in every store that we go to, it's all around us, because the reality is discontentment is all around us too. And when I talk about discontentment, what I'm talking about is that, that feeling of un, unsettled, this, this unsatisfaction that we can get when things don't go the way that we want them to. Now, I, I want to be clear that when I'm talking about discontent, I'm not talking about the really hard things that happen in our lives, the challenging, difficult things, things that can lead to hurt or harm. For example, if you are a married couple who's struggling with infertility, I'm not talking about that. If you are someone who's been on the receiving end of some type of injustice, I'm not talking about that. What I'm, what I'm talking about are the different situations where we experience discontent on a, on a smaller, smaller scale in our everyday lives. Because in our everyday lives, in so many real ways, discontentment is all around us. We find ourselves singing, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So we swipe left, so we swipe right. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you feel like you're doing that in your life right now? Like you're constantly swiping left, swiping right. Like you, you feel like you're, you're stuck in this just feeling of discontent. You don't have to answer out loud. But I want to say that I think for all of us, the answer is yes. I mean, people, we are two years into a global 
pandemic. I mean, our lives today are dramatically different than our lives were two years ago, and that's just COVID. We are people who are experiencing what it looks like to be discontent, and we feel like in all of these things, if we can just swipe left, everything would be better. But here's the deal. We can't. So instead, we try to do everything that we can to live that swipe right life. But here's the truth. Even if we were able to achieve that swipe right life, even if we had the power in each and every one of our circumstances to be just perfect, we would still be discontent. We would still be singing, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. How do I know that? because it's happened to us before. In the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth perfectly. It was good. There was no sin, no shame, no death. Everything was as it should be. Everything was great, but not for Adam. Genesis 2 says this, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. God created everything perfect, but not to Adam. So God made Eve, and then Adam, finally, he was content. So there they were, Adam and Eve in this perfect world, everything that was good, there was no sin, no shame, no death, everything was as it should be, they had each other, so they lived happily ever after, right? Right? Wrong. They were still discontent. They still hadn't found what they were looking for. So a serpent came and convinced them to swipe left on everything that God had said. Which leads us to today. And discontentment today, it's all around us. There's no way escaping it. You can even go to church and experience discontentment, right? In one of the lyrics, one of the verses from the song we sang at the beginning, it says this, it says, you broke the bonds and you loosed the chains, carried the cross of my shame, oh my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. God created a perfect universe, but we were still discontent. Which means that if your mind is not in the right place, you can even go to heaven and you're still not gonna be content. So what do we do? <laughs> like, What do we do? Is there any hope for us? Is there any hope that we can actually experience a life of contentment? What do we do? Has anyone found it? Well, let's look to the Apostle Paul in Philippians because this is what he writes. He writes, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. 
I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Do you see that? Paul has learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. Wow, Paul, you found it. Here's our problem. When we look to our circumstances to make us content, we're always going to be disappointed because our circumstances, they're always just changing. So Paul does something different. Paul, instead of looking to his circumstances, he makes a decision to look to something that will never change. Paul looks to Jesus. Now I want to pause because I know what some of you might be thinking right now. Michael, listen, bud, I've heard this message before. You're trying to tell me that when the going gets tough, that all I need to do is look to Jesus because in him I can do all things. It's like that Sunday school answer when you don't know what to say, you just say, Jesus, right? Michael, I've heard that before and, and I've, I've tried that, but I, I honestly don't know if I fully buy into it because the times that I've done that, when I've looked to Jesus in my everyday circumstances, guess what? My relationships are still messy. My job is still tough. Like COVID's still here. Things haven't changed. And to be brutally honest, there are times when I've looked to Jesus and while I've been looking at him, I can't control it, but deep down inside, I've heard myself say, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So don't give me that Sunday school answer. And if that's you, I totally get it. Because in so many real ways, that's me too. But I'm actually talking about something entirely different right now. Instead of asking the question, what can make us content, I want us to ask a different question altogether because that's exactly what Paul is doing. Yeah, Paul's looking at, at being content, but he's no longer focused on his circumstances. Let's take another look. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Paul still, Paul still um, uh, trying to see what it looks like to be content, but he's no longer asking, how can I become content? Paul is asking a different question altogether. Instead, Paul is asking, how can I fulfill God's mission? Stick with me on that. Let's read this passage again. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength, which, which then leads to the next question. Why? Why is Jesus giving Paul strength? So that he can become content? No, we had everything in the garden, but we still weren't content. It's not about being content. Instead, Jesus is giving Paul strength. Jesus is empowering Paul to fulfill his mission. 
And when I talk about mission, what I'm talking about is us living our lives in a way where our lives totally and fully point to Jesus as our king. And we try to live the way he's encouraging us and commanding us to live by loving others and by loving him and by following him. Right before this passage, Paul said this in Philippians 3, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And then he ends the passage by saying, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul is empowered for mission. And how does he end it? He says that I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul's not swiping left or right. Paul's not being controlled by his circumstances. Paul is being driven by a larger mission. Paul is all about living out the mission of Jesus. And sometimes when Paul lives out the mission of Jesus, he's gonna have plenty. And sometimes he's gonna be in need. Sometimes he's gonna be well-fed. And sometimes Paul's gonna be hungry. Sometimes Paul is gonna have everything that he could ever want. And sometimes Paul's gonna be living in want. Even when Paul's circumstances change, his, his contentment does not because Paul is seeing the world differently at this point. Paul is seeing the world through a different lens. Okay, I'm seeing the world through a different lens right now, okay? So I'm wearing glasses. When I, when I take my glasses off, oh, there we go. Everything's kind of unclear. Uh, everything's a little out of focus. I'm not seeing things right now as, as I know they were meant to be seen, which means my perspective of things is kind of off. But the moment I put these glasses back on, here we go, that's the moment everything becomes more clear, more focused. I'm seeing things as they were meant to be seen. It makes sense in my brain. My perspective shifts because I'm seeing things more clear, differently. And that's what Paul's talking about. That right there is the secret to being content no matter what your circumstances are, to let Jesus and his mission dictate your perspective, not your circumstances. Now, because, because that's so important, because that's the secret to being content in whatever your circumstances, I actually wanna spend the rest of our time today talking about how we can live that out, how we can have a, a different perspective. And to do that, I wanna start by talking about how discontentment can actually be a good thing. Okay, all right, Blackhawk, I have, a, I have a confession to make. This is a safe place, right? Yeah, this is a safe place. Okay, I like coffee. That's my confession. I really like coffee. I'm the kind of person that likes to wake up and, you know, hold that warm mug of coffee, smell it. You, you're all about that first sip. You coffee lovers know what I'm talking about. I can see some heads nodding. Okay, so... Um, I'm not only a morning coffee lover, but sometimes I do like an afternoon coffee, okay? Like the other day, I was, um, I was working, I kind of hit this like afternoon slump, my eyes were getting super tired, 
I did not want to look at another email. So then a thought came in my mind. I'm like, oh, let's get a coffee. All right, that's going to perk me up. So I got my coat on. I went outside to the uh, nearest coffee shop. I walked fast because I didn't want to die because the windshield was negative 10. Uh, if you're not in Wisconsin, there you go. <laughs> I went to the door and I tried to open it to get in for safety, but it, it wouldn't open. And it wasn't frozen shut. It wouldn't open. So I kept trying and I looked inside. The lights were on. People were working behind the little coffee station. And I was like, what on earth is going on? I need to get some coffee. And then there were hours of operation right next to the door. I looked at that. Then I looked at my watch it literally closed that minute. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? There are few worse things in the world. I'm just joking. <laughs> there's, there's a lot worse things in the world. <laughs> but, okay, why do I say this story? I say it because I knew that something was off when I knew that I needed coffee. Some of you might think I'm addicted. I'm not. Just, just trust me on that. Some of you might be thinking that's how you get through emails and Yes, that, that's actually the one. Um, but the same thing works with, with hunger and thirst. When, when we feel like we need food or water, something goes off in our body and says that something needs to be changed. So what do we do? We eat. We drink. And the same thing happens when it comes to experiencing discontentment. We feel this feeling of discontentment deep down inside of us, and that's our bodies, that's our souls saying, hey, something's off. Something needs to be changed. And if you were to ask the Apostle Paul what needs to be changed, he would say, your perspective. Because when you look to your circumstances, you're always gonna experience discontentment, but the moment you look through Jesus and his mission, that lens you're not only gonna be content, but here's the deal. Contentment isn't even the thing that you're gonna be focusing on. I mean, remember what Paul said. He said, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Now, that's a word right here. That's an intense word. Garbage. <laughs> Didn't think I'd be underlining garbage in church, did you? Well, here's the deal. This is the word that most first-year New Testament Greek students underline when in their New Testament Greek Bible um, because garbage, it, the word in Greek is skabala, and it's a slang word that's often used. It's slang for dung or crap. <laughs> we have a slang word for that, and it's not going to be said by me. I'm not going to say it. Uh, but Paul is intentionally using that word to prove a point, and it's a dramatic point. Paul is saying, listen, I am so focused on Jesus and his mission that every single thing outside of Jesus and his mission, to me, guess what I consider it? I consider it, you get the point. That's the lens that Paul is looking through. That's Paul's perspective, and it drives him. And when we experience discontentment, that's an invitation for us to ask ourselves, what's the lens that I'm looking through? What's driving me? What's my perspective? Jesus and his mission? 
or my circumstances. And this could be really hard because sometimes, man, our circumstances can be really hard. But all the more to look to Jesus in our circumstances because he wants to be with us in us in there. He wants to meet us in those circumstances. Here's the deal. When, when we look to Jesus, we're not saying that we're looking away from the hard things that go on in our lives. No, the opposite. It's saying that we are looking to someone who wants to be with us and comfort us and help us through all the hard things in our lives that we're going through. And why? Because he loves you. And he wants to empower you for his mission. Which leads to the next thing that I want to talk about when it comes to a different perspective. To or that we can live like we're on a mission, to live like we're on a mission, because when we live like we're on a mission, like looking through a different lens, it changes our perspective of everything. All right, think of, think of an athlete, any athlete, like Devontae Adams, okay? Yes, I'm still in mourning about yesterday. We don't have to talk about it, but I am here to say on right now to everyone that I still know that he is the best wide receiver in all of the NFL, and he plays for the Packers, and, and what's his mission? His mission is to continue to be the best wide receiver that he possibly can, and to that end, guess what he's gonna do? He's gonna train, <laughs> He's gonna be getting up early in the morning. He's gonna be eating differently. He's gonna be exercising. This all sounds terrible to me, but that's what he's gonna be doing. He's gonna become uncomfortable because he is missional in his lifestyle. And when athletes do that, when they live like that, when they choose discipline, when they choose endurance, do you think that contentment or discontentment is really that important to them? No, their mission is. In fact, they've learned to be content in all of these things for the sake of their mission. When it comes to us in living out the mission for Jesus, we're invited to do the same, to have that perspective. Now, here's something interesting about athletes when they're living on mission, typically athletes don't live on mission alone. <laughs> they have a coach, they have teammates, they have people helping them, pointing them, showing them the right perspective to have as they're trying to live out that mission. And when we live out our mission for Jesus, we're invited to do the same, to have other people. In fact, for us, it's extremely important, so much so that for the last point I wanna take about, I talk about on having a different perspective, it's that we can't, we can't live out our mission alone. Okay, so I, I remember the first time that I ever drove a car. If you've driven a car before, like think about that. Do you remember the first time when you were behind a wheel? I remember it. Okay, so I was 15. I just got my driver's permit. And wanting to like hit the road right away, my mom, she put on her shoes, she grabbed her car keys, she threw her car keys at me and said, let's go, you're driving. She didn't have a deep voice, she had a, a higher voice. But for some reason when I think back, she had a deep voice. <laughs> Sorry, mom. 
<clears throat> but anyways, so I got, got to my car, or got to her car, I sat in the seat, put the seat buckle, on, belt buckle in, I looked at everything, adjusted everything so that I could see, I put the key in the ignition, I prayed for my life, and then I said, okay, Ma, how do you drive? <laughs> she walked through everything, and then I'm like, okay, okay, I think I get it. I reversed out of the driveway, I hit the road, and man, I was driving, and it was terrifying. <laughs> so I don't know if this is what happened to you when you were first driving, or if you even remember it, but I remember it like it was yesterday. It's, it's like one of those events that sears into your brain, and like you wake up and you think about it for some weird reason. That's, that's this memory. Okay, so here I was. I was driving. I wanted to do the best job that I can, so I gripped the steering wheel, 10 and 2, people, 10 and 2. You know what I'm talking about. I gripped the steering wheel, and then I looked directly down at the road in front of me because I'm like, okay, driver's ed 101, you got to stay in the lane because you can't hit the car next to you. You can't hit a stop sign. Like, that's the number one thing, stay in the lane. So I'm like, okay, I got this. I got this. Looking at the road, stay in the lane. started swerving. <laughs> and I was like, what? This is the opposite of staying in the lane. I got to try harder. So I focused more on the road. I, I was like, I got to get this right. Stay in the lane, but I couldn't. I don't know if that happened to you, but I could not stay in the lane. I was swerving. My whole body started to sweat. I was praying without ceasing. And then my mom, <laughs> I kid you not, like, I still remember this. She uh, put her seat back, put her feet on the dashboard and said, take a left. <laughs> and I was like, that's funny, mom. That's the freeway. <laughs> and then she said, I know, you got this. I was trying to think like, what is her parenting tactic right now? Like, like it, this seems dangerous. Maybe she really trusts me, I don't know. She's telling me how to drive. So I put my turn signal on, I went on the on-ramp, and I remember thinking, okay, this is how I die. All right. I got into the freeway. Things got intense. It's the freeway. Grip the steering wheel. I'm like, I have to get this right. I have to stay in the lane. I focused on the road in front of me. I'm like, do it, do it, do it. But I kept swerving. I kept Swerving. So finally, like reaching a breaking point, I said, Mom, how do I stop swerving? How do I stay in the lane? I'm looking at the road, but it's just not helping. And I'll never forget what she said next. She said, Michael, that's the problem. You're looking directly at the road. You're looking at what's right in front of you. Whenever you do that, you're always gonna swerve. You need to look up. You need to look at the horizon. Because when you're driving, a lot like seeing through a different lens, when you look up, you're able to see everything that's going on around you. You're able to see where you're going, and that puts everything in the right perspective. And when I did that, when I looked up, everything changed. Everything made sense. I was driving straight. Now, here's... My question for you, do you feel like there are areas in your life where you're just swerving? 
that there are tough things, challenging things, things that are hard, things that are leaving you feeling just discontent. While the road that we're on might not change, where we look can. Where are you looking? Are you looking at what's right in front of you? Your circumstances, the discontentment that they can bring. If so, how's the swerving? How's that swipe left, swipe right life going? Have you found what you're looking for? And if not, what would it look like to see things through a different perspective? And if you don't know where to start, I wanna ask you a question. Do you have someone in the passenger seat of your life directing you whenever you need help to focus on Jesus and his mission like my mom helped me when she was in the passenger seat? And if you don't, what would it look like to find someone this week? That's my encouragement for you, my challenge. If you don't, maybe someone in your life group, a friend, someone who knows you, someone who you trust, what would it look like for you to say, hey, I need some help because I'm looking to my circumstances and I'm experiencing some serious discontent. I need help on my perspective. Because when we do that, when we switch our perspective from our circumstances to Jesus and his mission, we begin to realize that we're empowered for mission. Let's pray. So Jesus, I can't think of a more timely topic today than discontentment. I feel like discontentment is like the cold weather. We can't escape it. It's here. I feel like discontentment is the snow. It's here no matter what. We got to trudge through it. Jesus, I pray for those who are experiencing discontentment in some really tough ways right now. That right now, through your spirit, you can help lift their head up. You can help show them that they're not alone. Their God is with them. He will never forsake them, and they're loved. I pray that you do that for all of us, that no matter what we're going through, Jesus, that we can lift our heads to you and the mission that you have for us. And it's a mission of love, a mission of grace, a mission of redemption, a mission of peace, a mission of reconciliation, so that we can look to the one who has overcome the world because you can overcome our circumstances and everything. We look to you, Jesus. When we start to swerve, when we start to swipe left, and we start to swipe right, when we realize we're saying, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for, help us look for you, our Savior and our King. In your name we pray. Amen.